Hello. What did Jesus think about sex? It's hard to tell since he talked so little about it. However, you could be forgiven for thinking that his church talks about little else. Whereas Jesus was primarily concerned with our relationship with God and duties to our fellow human beings, the Church of England in particular sometimes seems preoccupied with gender and sexuality, be it women bishops, homosexual clergy or same-sex marriage. My name is Roger Bolton and this programme is part of Things Unseen, which is for people who think there's more to life than the material world, whether they have a faith or not. In this discussion, which focuses on what might be called a self-centred church, I'm joined by three guests. The Reverend Lucy Winkert is Rector of St James in London's Piccadilly, renowned as a socially active church, it must be said. The Reverend Rod Thomas is Vicar of St Matthew's Elberton in Plymouth and since 2007 has been Chair of the Reform Council and a member of the General Synod, opposed to women priests, let alone bishops. And also we're joined by the Reverend Sally Hitchener, Senior Chaplain and Interfaith Advisor at Brunel University in London. Can we start by discussing whether the church is over-preoccupied with sexual issues or whether that perception is media-led? Lucy Winkert, do you think the church spends too much time on gender and sexual issues? I think the phrase, a self-centred church, is a really interesting one. I think that's where a lot of people think the church is, that it's an institution that talks to itself a lot and that our internal conversations preoccupy us. So I do think it's a reasonable question to ask, and I think it's a very common perception. From inside the institution, I spend very little of my time talking about either women bishops or sexuality, and so it doesn't take up a lot of my time. It certainly doesn't take up a lot of the uh, time of the congregation which I serve. It takes a lot of time of Synod, sure. um, which is the church's parliament, yeah. which doesn't seem to be able to get off the issue. Every time the Synod gets together, it's there. And in the end, people talk about the church breaking up, not breaking up. It's in resolved. And all we know is they'll be discussing it at the next Synod. They certainly will. And they do discuss that a lot, of course. But they also discuss many other topics which simply don't get the airtime. I mean, I don't want to sound like a whinging vicar, but the media do love this topic because conflict makes good press. So oh, sex and conflict, yes. Sex of and conflict. Irresistible abs- for brilliant. people like me, sex, unfortunately. Sex, money, conflict, religion, yes. put the whole thing together. Absolutely brilliant. We shouldn't complain about that too much. I just think we should be clear about that, that the media's agenda is different from ours in large measure and get on with our, our work as people in the church. But Rod Thomas, to an extent, you are responsible for your own publicity. I mean, you legitimately can complain that the press sensationalises. Nonetheless, There is raw material to deal with there. And this constant argument within the church about its internal affairs, in particular the gender issues, women bishops, has gone on for so long, hasn't it? It has indeed. The fact is that although these subjects do preoccupy us at the level of the National Synod, at the level of the parish... It's barely ever mentioned. At the level of the parish, people are concerned with everyday living. As a vicar, I spend my time teaching people what's in the Bible. I'm comforting people who are bereaved. I'm preparing people for baptism. I'm leading courses. None of this has anything to do with what's on the public agenda. Is there something else here, though? There are a number of people in the church who are single-issue people. They say, this is a vital issue, say it's women priests. It's the only issue I want to talk about, uh, and I insist that you talk about it. The church has a number of people obsessed with one issue above any other. 
Well, I think I've been obsessed of being a single-issue person ever since I became chairman of Reform, and you'll be amazed at the range of single issues with which I'm obsessed. The fact is that at any one stage, one issue comes to dominate, and the women bishops issue is a knotty one because the issue at the heart of it is what does the Bible teach, how do we follow it faithfully, and when we disagree, how can we come up with an arrangement that holds all of the sides in the Church of England together so it remains a broad church rather than a narrow church. Can I bring in the Reverend Sally Hitchener here? Could a person like yourself say, look, women priests is a terribly important issue, women bishops even more so in a sense, but I accept the church has been talking about this for too long, put it aside for five years, let's concentrate on Syria, let's concentrate on refugees, let's concentrate on poverty. Would that make sense to a person like you? I think everything's linked in, isn't it? I mean, I agree. I think the church should have a single issue, but I think we're being too small. I think if you read the Gospels, Jesus was a single issue person. His single issue was love, loving God and loving your neighbour. And I think that's what the perception of the outside world is that the Church of England, at least in the media, is perceived to be missing that single issue of love in, in how we interact and how we argue through all these other issues. It's all linked in. So young women I speak to don't go to church because they see the church as being sexist. I know people who have have been in abusive marriages where they're actually being condoned by the fact they've been in what they see to be a patriarchal church. Women are the poorest people in the world by a long way, from my perspective, by needlessly um, not having a arch- female Archbishop of Canterbury, female bishops, if the Bible isn't prohibiting that. It's a massive price to pay. What you seem to be saying is, unless this issue is resolved, the church can't move forward. You can't break away the idea of feminism from the idea of poverty. Well, let me bring in Lucy Winkett on this. Uh, Do you agree with the assessment that unless the issue of women is resolved, it's very difficult to move forward in any way? I wouldn't separate them. I I mean, I I think there's there's an argument for that, but I think what we're arguing about is timing. And what you're suggesting is that on this issue on women, we kind of stop talking about it for a number of years or whatever it might be in order that we get on with something else. I don't think I accept the premise of that question because we're already doing 99 other things as well as talking about women bishops. The fact is, if it keeps coming up at Synod and if a number of people keep saying this issue has to be resolved before anything else, that is a recipe for trench warfare and for a freezing of everything else. And there are a lot of people out there who I talk to as well saying, look at Syria, look at the poverty, look at refugees, look at everything else happening in this country. Take a lead, shut up about sex for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely fair criticism. In the Anglican Communion, there's a province uh, in the Sudan, and they took a long time to discuss the place of women in authority in their church. They debated it, heated debate, they argued about it, and in one day they decided to make women, as it happened they decided positively, to make women deacon, priest and bishop in one day. They said either we do it or we don't. In the Church of England what we've done is do it over an extraordinarily long period of time. Women were first made deacons in 87, priests in 94, still can't be bishops. So all we're talking about here is timing. Rod Thomas, you obviously believe there isn't biblical authority for women bishops. You therefore can't let go of this issue, can you? You may say, I wish it wasn't coming back synod after synod. I wish it wouldn't keep coming back in the headlines. But you are not going to change your position, are you? 
I don't think now that we've got so far in the debate that many people on either side are going to change their position. And the issue is how we can devise arrangements that enable us to operate together within the Church of England rather than splitting apart. I totally agree with you that, that in one way it would be wonderful if we could have those discussions and keep on doing the 99 other things that Lucy has said we're doing, and she's quite right in saying that. But the one thing that we can't really do is control the way in which the church, church affairs are reported by the media. And I'm not blaming the media at all. All I'm saying is that the media presents this as the church is dominated by this issue. And the fact is that while Synod certainly has it as a major item of business that it's got to deal with, what I think we're all saying is that on the ground, the church is not dominated I wonder by this too, issue. Too, too easy an answer. Take the Labour Party in the uh, yeah. 80s. Split apart, blame the media. Well, you could, but the splits were real. It eventually, for good or bad, came together, decided that it would actually have a common message, enforced it pretty toughly, and it virtually eliminated eternal dissent and got elected. Of course, the d dissent returns later. In other words, it accepted that if it didn't change, the reporting would well, change. Well, that's absolutely right. And, and, you know, as I say, I am not blaming media reporting because obviously they've got something to report about. I'm not blaming that. I do think that there is one other aspect of this that we've not mentioned. That is that the reason why... Uh, women bishops is such an issue. And the reason why sexuality generally and gender is such an issue is because this is one of the key turning points in Western culture at the moment, right the way across the West. The issues about how we express our sexuality and how we live in intimacy with one another and the roles of men and women in a society. These are all things that are in turmoil and are under great discussion in this debate. It seems to me that we often talk about Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, as being uh, a, a person who showed us what God was like. But it's also much more challenging to say that Jesus is a person who showed us what it could be like to be human. And there's something absolutely humane about Jesus when he deals with people, whoever they are. And one of the key themes of the ministry of Jesus, it seems to me, in the Gospels, is that whenever he comes up against a rule, particularly a religious rule and an institutional rule, that he judges to be inhumane, he will break it and challenge it. There's a cliche which, which says that people often leave their brains at the church door when they come in and, you know, we kind of forget to think, we forget to be rigorous. I think over these kinds of debates, sometimes we leave our hearts at the church door and we forget to be humane. And, I mean, certainly in the congregation that I am currently serving, there are people in same-sex relationships, there are people who are married, there are people who are looking for commitment, fidelity, um, they want to cultivate trust between one another, and that is between people of opposite sex and same-sex. And it seems to me, as I look at that, that there is something of God in that. There is something very beautiful in that uh, desire for commitment and trust and fidelity that I recognise as being of God. If we were able to, if not put aside, to downplay these gender and sexual issues, and if we wanted to ensure that the church was not regarded by those on the edges or outside as self-centred, what should it do and what should its agenda be? Rod Thomas. The key thing is to be prepared to be radical in the way in which we apply the great truths that we uncover in God's word.
So when we read about how we should be as humans uh, in order to enjoy life as God intended, when we read about our identity not being wrapped up in our sexual identity but being wrapped up in Christ, when we read all of these things, it would be wonderful if the church could set more of a lead in being radical in the way in which people applied that in practice. But of course some people will come back and say what you've said then implies political action. The church should not be involved in politics. It might imply political action, but actually, more than anything else, it probably implies having the courage to go against prevailing opinion and simply suggest that there are different ways of doing things. Um, You don't have to act politically to do that. After all, the Archbishop of Canterbury has managed to find an amazing public voice and suggest, for example, with credit unions, that, that going down the road of payday loans may not be the right thing to do, and it would be better if the church was able or others were able to develop alternative ways forward. It's radical about dealing with the consequences of what White say it was an unequal society. Would you go further and say that actually you have to attack the unequal society itself? Um, well, I, um, we always need to work for um, uh, eradication of poverty. We always but I think need... the gap between rich and poor with respect, which is now getting greater. Yes, indeed. The gap is getting greater. Um, I suppose there are many other aspects of society that you would want to challenge as well, uh, aspects of social justice, um, aspects of uh, equality that we need to challenge. Um, there oh, could you give me the, an example of those then, just a question of social justice and equality, issues where you think the church should get, uh, as it were, more involved or more uh, involuble? Well, um, I, I think in terms of justice, one of the things that the church needs to shout about loud and clear is the need for us to temper judgment with mercy. Um, one of the things that's infecting our society at the moment is an increasing intolerance of people who have done wrong, of a, of a sort of a spirit of retaliation, of let's, let's, you know, let's really punish them and forget about them. And the idea of showing mercy to people who've recognised they've gone wrong and are sorry for it, and then allowing them to be restored perhaps to public life. You know, once they've fallen from public life, they're out forever. Is that really what the Christian uh, a Christian approach? If someone is repentant for what they've done, should we not allow them back in? You know, that sort of message goes against the grain of where our society is, but it is a radical interpretation of the gospel. Sally Hitchner, what would you like to see Synod focusing on if you, if you could write its agenda for the next meeting, setting aside these gender and sexual issues? What would you put at the front? I would love to see the church take a really proactive stance against enforced slavery um, and people who are uh, forced to be in slavery situations in the UK. I think that is something that we should be making a stronger stance on. Um, Personally, because I work with young adults, I'd love to see the church take a really strong stance on fostering an adoption, which we are already leading the way in, but also in teenage suicides and trying to tackle the causes of the issues that make teenagers think their lives are hopeless. But I think this message of hope and the message of grace that each individual is worth investing in, no matter what they've done, just because they're a human being and because God loves them, that's a radical message um, and something we can bring to the world. Lucy, one thing that surprises me is that we're witnessing what seems to be the elimination of Christian life or Christians in large parts of the Middle East, certainly in Iraq, certainly in Syria and elsewhere. If Christians are not being killed, they're fleeing. And so where we face a situation where, you know, where Christianity comes from, Christians will be in not just a minority but will hardly exist. I haven't heard the church speak out very loudly about that. Have you? 
I have, actually. There is a document called Kairos Palestine. It's a lot of Christian churches from every denomination in the Palestinian territories who have got together and have made a call to the Christian churches of the world to say, come and visit us, come and encourage us. And so, I mean, there are initiatives being taken that are trying to say to the two billion Christians around the world, out of the seven billion people on the planet, be in solidarity with your fellow Christians. And does the be in solidarity mean going? even to parts of Syria and elsewhere, and just being with those on the ground. And that's what you would like to see the church doing. Amongst other things, yes. I was reading only last week of a group of Christians from East London who went to Syria because they were so exercised by the plight of Syrian refugees. So there was a a large group who raised money and off they went and offered solidarity and support to those who were suffering in Syria, who were, I might add, Christians and Muslims. Just to add illustration to that, we have 62 Syrian students at Brunel University where I work and in the chaplaincy we've linked them with local churches who are financially helping to support them alongside the university and have been adopted by local families. Many of them are from local churches um, who are caring for them, helping to support them both emotionally and financially. And I think this is happening on the ground more than it's being reported. Well, finally, we've called this discussion a self-centred church, question mark, and here's a proposition. Would you agree that if everybody in the Church of England, even those of you who argue for what you see as a legitimate cause, took a year-long jubilee from campaigning for their rights and focused instead on the neediest of society, be a good thing? Should you all stand up and say, I will not now talk about all those things to do with gender and sexuality and in my single issues, I will focus for a year on entirely other things. Would you do that, Rod Thomas? It's a very tempting proposition. The fact is, however, that it is an unrealistic proposition and it's unrealistic simply because the debate about those issues does not stop in the rest of the world and the church cannot stand aside from involvement in what the rest of the world is talking about and developing. After all, the same-sex marriage debate has been generated entirely by uh, politicians. You may say it's reflecting a cultural trend, but it's been generated entirely by them And the church couldn't stand aside from that sort of issue. That would be ridiculous. The church would be refusing to engage with the world. Tempting as the proposition is, I don't really think it could happen. (laughs) Sally Hitchler, does that proposition tempt you to take a year off from your concerns with gender issues and focus entirely on something else? Um, I think the heart of the question is really interesting. The idea of shifting our focus away from our rights to our responsibilities, away from our perceived fear of losing our place in society or losing something important about ourselves and fighting for that to shifting to caring for others. And I think that is a really powerful message and one that I would like to to at least spend a year, if not my whole life, trying to learn. Finally, Lucy, we could shout turn to you. Any chance you will entirely alter your agenda and uh, for the next year and leave any reference to women bishops or gender issues or sexuality aside? Could you do that? On a personal level, it's a very tempting proposition. The reality is I don't spend a lot of my time talking about those things, so I don't accept the premise of your question. <laughs> the vast majority of women in the world are illiterate and the vast majority of people who are poor in the world are women. Those are real gender issues. Well, my thanks to the Reverend Lucy Winkett, to the Reverend Rob Thomas and to the Reverend Sally Hitchener. You've been listening to Things Unseen, a programme for people who think there's more to life than the purely material, whether or not you belong to a faith community. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTBC. From me, Roger Bolton, goodbye. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.